Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal. And BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. Get the new Track 300A with free shipping for $79.99. Hammer Nail Smoke and Fire for $89.99. And the Columbia Freeze Hybrid for only $64.99. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. And while you're at BowlerX.com, be sure to enter the drawing for your chance to win a $500 shopping spree. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and a proud sponsor of Above180.com. Looking to shoe up against the best in our sport? The Proprietors Cup is a true megabuck tournament. It takes place in Dayton, Ohio, July 12th through the 15th. If you think you have what it takes to compete against the best in the industry, then listen to this. The Ace Mitchell All-Star Team Challenge is a place where your five-man team can prove it and win $10,000. Here's how it works. Go to www.proprietorscup.com to fill out an entry blank. The singles event is slated for July 14th, and due to high demand, a women's and senior megabucks tournament has been added. Check out their Facebook page and click like. Again, the website, proprietorscup.com for all the details. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Tim Berg, Joe Serrar here, another week of the Above180.com podcast. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Tim, and welcome, Mo. Hi, guys. We're doing it again. It's kind of summertime, and it ain't bowling season, but it, uh, it's good to keep the old fires burning and keep the subjects alive and keep playing with it, help get people ready for the next season. Well, Mo, as you know, we're all about knowledge and trying to educate uh, you know, bowlers, ball drillers, anyone concerned in our industry, and no one better, in our opinion, to help expound on this knowledge base than by interviewing you well i'll humbly accept that and thank you very much for the for those nice kind remarks okay so we'll begin today's show with uh we did receive a a letter from a concerned ipsia member we will not mention his name but uh he's he's been with ipsia for a few years and his concern was he had just recently paid for an Ipsia certification class, an advanced class, and he was concerned that we were giving away possibly too much information uh, during this segment uh, regarding uh, dual angle terminology, ball fitting, ball drilling, and uh, Mo, do you want to address that question? Sure, I don't have a problem with it at all. We've got to get a couple of criteria straightened out here first. Okay? I used to teach the Ipsia advanced certification class which I no longer do, okay? And uh, the big deal about the IPSI advanced certification class when I was teaching it is it was a hands-on class. It was called IPSI advanced hops in which we went over classroom and then we had hands-on instructors, no more than eight students per instructor when we went into groups and actually did the practical application of the theoretical discussions we did in the classroom. So the real value of an advanced hands-on detailed training center 
is to go through all the steps to do the things we were teaching and actually be trained by a hands-on instructor so that you were not only knowledgeable in it, but you became very adept in implementing the knowledge you had. So that's the difference with a hands-on training center and this gentleman. It's interesting because this is kind of uh, a very interesting subject. And here's the issue on that. Dual-angle terminology is copyrighted to me, and it is my property. Therefore, I can see fit to educate the way I want to, and if we educate everybody in the proper use of dual-angle drilling techniques, we improve the entire sport of bowling. Don't you agree? Well, I, I agree, Mo. I mean, for years we've spoke about commonality in terminology, just so people are on the same page. So when I tell you a 60 by 5 by 40 drilling, you know exactly what layout I'm speaking of, that there's no you know, intricacies with buffers and all these other different ways of talking, you know, the pin is two inches above, below. Uh, it's just for commonality purposes and get everybody, everybody on the same page. Yeah, we've, we've got to do that. We've been fragmented. And, and you and I have talked on the phone for many years, Joey. And before we did dual angles, somebody would say, okay, here's the layout I've got. I've got my pin, and it's slightly up and to the right of the ring finger. And the CG is over to the right and a little below the midline. And the PSA or the mass bias is over by the thumb. That ain't a layout. But right, if I exactly. tell you, like we're talking, we're doing a 60 by 4 by 35, you can just take your prosect and you can whack it out on a bowling ball and get specifically exactly what I'm talking about. So it's just bringing everything to be much more pre precise and repetitive. And again, like you say, it's a commonality in terminology so that everybody can do these things and we can talk about it and we can improve being able to give the customer what they're looking for when they're coming in for a ball reaction. Well, that, that's it. You know, we always talk about bowlers trying to, you know, fit a ball in their arsenal, you know, either with ball motion, total hook, break point shape. Uh, yeah. Dual angle terminology is perfect for that perfect sequencing. Right. It's interesting, and let's go back to this gentleman just to get him cleared up. Okay. If she came to me and asked me if I, they, I teach the advanced certification class, and in doing that, I allowed them, I licensed them while I was there, to use dual angles in order to make the class more exact and more precise and a better class. So the one thing I want to get through to this gentleman who talked about it is that dual angle terminology is not the property of Ipsia. It belongs to me. And if I choose to use it to educate the world and make bowling better, I think that's my prerogative. You agree with me, Joey? I I agree. Um, I mean, not being in the in the legal field, it's hard to say what rights you have. But uh, you know, if we can touch base on that a little bit more, you own yeah, hey, the Joe. rights to the origination and the name. Can anyone use this word or terminology? They can use it. There's no problem in implementing it. You can't. 
What you can't do is use the copyrighted material, which is on Bowling Chat and has been in different places. It's already been in the Bowlers Journal, things like that. You can't use that material without giving without getting my permission and getting and giving credit to me if you use the printed material. As far as using the techniques, that's public domain. Well, yeah, moment. Well, but those are the rights in copywriting. Is that is that true? Sounds about I, right. I, to I would Joe, assume. Mo. <laughs> yeah. And my, my only thing that I wanted to throw into this whole mix is when I came to Joe with the idea of doing something like this over the summer, really, like you guys have, have said, to, to you know go back to the original point of educating bowlers, it was not to be a certification class for, for pro shop operators and make everyone go out and drill their own bowling balls. It was more to educate the people who are improving their game and want to improve their game and want to be more knowledgeable and can go into their pro shop operator and say, here's what I'm looking for. Here's the kind of shape I need. Here's what I need to do. So it really is, is something that, you know, mine and Joe's, and, and that's where we brought Mo into the mix here, is you were the, the first person Joe mentioned to come on the show with us to help educate, you know, listeners and, and then help the pro shop guys as well, like you said, with some of the things. So by no means was this initially set up to do anything uh, you know regarding certification or anything like that so well, i just wanted me, to make that clear let me just put one thing in just for information purposes like i said uh, i'm no longer affiliated with educating with teaching for ipsia their choice but anybody interested in learning the hands-on techniques and becoming very proficient in the application of ball drilling techniques and everything uh, i'm now combined with Mike Luongo and John Jameson, and we're doing our pro shop basic and advanced certification programs and education programs with innovative bowling, and we do them in York, Pennsylvania. So if anybody's interested in becoming more adept and proficient in the use of these layout techniques in order to, in order to improve bowling in their area and take care of their customers, all you got to do is contact John Jameson of Innovative Bowling, and uh, we can set it up. Our next class is uh, the first weekend in uh, August. So we do about two or three a year. So this material, for anybody who's interested and, and really wants to become very proficient in the use of this, just get in touch with John. That's where I am now, and uh, that's where I'll be doing my teaching in the future. Okay, well, Mo, I want to get to the hang the line because we're going to take our first break here. And on the other sure. side, I want to get the initial uh, talk about the beginning and the inception of sure. dual angle drilling. So coming up on the other side, we're going to get into that, get into some of the nuts and bolts of things here. But just to have to clear all that stuff up, you're listening to the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg, Joe Sarar, a special edition here, Bowling Ball Drilling for Dummies. Looking for some added competition? Having a hard time finding a tournament in your area? Tired of all the added expenses in traveling to a tournament? VirtualTournaments.com was designed to allow bowlers to use their league scores towards a national tournament. VirtualTournaments.com has multiple divisions available, along with brackets and high-game side pots. Visit VirtualTournaments.com today for information. VirtualTournaments.com. Real bowlers, real scores, real money. Attention bowlers, would you like to help your stability in your approach and at the foul line? With Stability Strikes Bowling Performance Sock, you can enhance your stability and take the edge off any foot, knee, or back pain you may have while bowling. The extra mohair cushioning in the heel and toe gives you the comfort and support to compete at your maximum potential. So go to StabilityStrikes.com today. Stability in your game is just a pair away.
we are back. Tim Burke, Joe Serrar, Mo Pinnell. Going to get into the nuts and bolts of things now, Mo. That first segment, we just had to kind of clear up some things and, and uh, put some things to rest. So let's let's get into it. Let's talk about the beginning of dual angle drilling and why you felt it was there was a need for, for that terminology. Well, uh, let's go back to drilling systems. I had developed over the years through independent research two previous drilling systems. One was... In 1988, I did what was called power-rated drilling techniques, in which we began trying to evaluate the strength of the ball reaction based on the decisions the ball driller made in order to implement uh, ball motion to his customers. And then from that, I went to when I was with Hammer and we did the 3D offset. We did, Joey, and you'll remember this, the hotspot drilling techniques because Hammer was the first ball when I was working for them where we marked the mass bias, as we called it at that time, as the hot spot. And we developed the hot spot drilling techniques. And uh, those techniques were eventually adopted by Storm, because Storm uses them to teach, uh, to teach uh, their drilling techniques, and they involve pin to PAP distance, uh, PSA to PAP distance, and pin buffers. So that was the terminology there. And in looking at that, it didn't translate into, this is what I want, therefore this is how I change it. So I just want to give you the background, and Joey, you're familiar with at least the hotspot drilling techniques, and I don't know if you were familiar with the power ratings when I did them in, in the late 80s. Uh, no, no, those I was unfamiliar with, but uh, we, we should mention that Hammer was the originator of the two-piece bowling ball, and I don't even know if you're aware of this, Mo, but we had some test balls from Rich Wonders uh, brought into my pro shop in the late 70s, I believe 1977. He brought in some black plastic two-piece yeah. balls that may have had that same hammer core that, that morphed into the blue hammer and the burgundy hammer, a very simplistic yep. design, but the shells were yeah. about two inch thick and, and the ball had some pretty heavy roll that we had never seen before being, you know, two piece construction. But, you know, the biggest change was the two inch thick cover stock as opposed to the typical half inch or five eighths thick. Well, let's go back to that. That's the original John Sabinich core. Definitely. The original timer core. Okay, and yes, I had seen the plastic balls. Uh, there weren't a lot of them out. I had seen them in the mid-70s, the Fabinich uh, core. So that's the way that started. That was the first of the smaller volume, lower RG cores, and that was Fabinich, and he got involved with the Wonders family, and then we got Dennis Baldwin involved, and there was Fabal Utah and Fabal Maryland, and they all got involved. Yeah, so yeah, that. That was the first of the two-piece cores, which gave you a different reaction and, more, and a heavier roll, as you said, because it was actually a lower RG version of a, of a bowling ball. So, yeah, that's when that happened. Now, why did dual angles become what they were? Okay. Anybody with uh, an advanced math background knows that when you are relating to positions on a sphere, which is what a bowling ball is, a round sphere. Scientifically, all coordinate systems 
involving locating on a sphere, especially with a sphere with a core or a density distribution that isn't uniform inside, everything's done in angles. So all spherical coordinate systems mathematically is done in angles. And technically speaking, if we were to do the dual angle system truly scientifically, which won't work, okay, we would be using three angles. We'd be using a drilling angle, a pin to PAP angle, which would be a core angle, and then a VAL angle. But we are so entrenched in our industry, and it's so easy to use pin to PAP distances that we do that in inches instead of in angles. But even Brunswick, in their original referencing cores when they were doing uh, their quantum stuff back in the early 90s, they talked about core angles, 30 degrees, 45 degrees, 60 degrees. Remember that, Joey? Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, but you kind of lost me there for a little bit uh, with pin to PAP angle. I, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around how that can be measured. It's a core angle because if the pin... If you look at that quarter or that sector of the sphere and you have your PAP at zero, your pin can be 45 degrees on the surface of the ball and 45 degrees on the surface of a bowling ball is measured <laughs> linearly as three and three-eighths inches. So a three and three-eighths pin to PAP is a 45-degree core angle to the axis of rotation of the ball. Right, and, and a six and three quarter pin distance from your PAP would be a 90. That's correct. Okay. And two and a quarter is 30 degrees, and four and a half is 60 degrees. All right, so, so you decided to adopt distance just due to the fact all the manufacturers were currently using distance in lieu of pin angle? Yes, in lieu of core angle, yes. Or core so angle? That's the same. But we refer to the drilling angle and the VAA, VAL angle in degrees, because if you've got a prosect, that's the easiest way to lay it out. Right, and, and, and you can get a visual in your mind as well. When, when you hear a 40 drill angle, a 90 drill angle, you can visually see that. Yes, you can. It's much in, easier in your mind. to see. Right. Oh, and, and, the, and the reason I did the VAL angle, because drilling angles, that wasn't mine. Drilling angles have been used in the industry a long time before me before the dual angle system. They used 90 degree drilling angle, 60, 70, but they didn't specify specifically how, what the angle was from the pin to the PAP line to the VAL. Now, when I originally did the hammer system, that was the pin buffer measurement. And the pin buffer was the distance that the that the pin was from the vertical axis line and allowed you to draw that angle. But the problem with the pin buffer is, if you use a three inch pin to PAP with a pin buffer of say two inches, if I made that pin to PAP distance four and a half, in order to get the same angle, I'd have to change the pin buffer to three inches. So that right. got a little clumsy. So, you know, I'm figuring out to get that angle because it was really the angle we were trying to get. So right. I just, and, and, I in your system, the angle stays consistent regardless of pin distance. Right. 
The angle is the same no matter how far the pin is from the PAP. So that allows you to do that coordination rather than pin buffers. In other words, what I'll tell you is the first time I tried to do the system, I used the pin buffer, and after that was seven or eight years old, I said, that's not accurate enough. Let's go to angles. And no, it's consistent with, with the terminology in spherical geometry, which is the geometry of a sphere. Yeah, I, I would say that would drive you nuts, and from what I've heard, that's a short drive. It, 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 I'm right there on the edge. It's fun, though. Okay, Tim, are you, are you staying with Mo and I in, in regarding what, what we're talking about here? I am. It's it's very insightful. It's it's helping me. This is You guys have, have brains that are completely different than mine when it comes to how you think of things, and you guys have probably been doing this, too, for, for a number of years. So this is all very insightful. I'm just taking a lot of it in and, and staying with you guys. So I guess just keep keep on rolling, and, and if I have anything in there, I'll, I'll pop in an ad. But for the time being, this is just uh, you know all knowledge for me, and I'm probably something I'm going to have to listen to again. And I guess... You know, one of the things, I guess, for me is what does a pro shop operator want from me when I walk in there? What would be a good thing to know? Do I, do I have to know all this? Or is it better to almost come in kind of, I don't want to say blind, but come in kind of wondering, you know, like I'm looking for a new ball. I'm looking for to upgrade my equipment. And, and you know, from, from Joe Emmo, both of your perspectives, what, what should I know? What, what's going to make me beneficial to add to my arsenal? Right. Well, first off, Mo, are, are you finished dis discussing the the birth of dual angle and, and uh, all your criteria that you use to develop it? Uh, I'm fine with it. If it if you think we've covered what you what you wanted to do and what you thought was pertinent to this discussion, because you're the one who was listening, have we covered enough of it for now? We can always revert back to it later if we want to. Well, I I, I think you have, but I I don't know if we should. Uh, break dual angle drillings down in thirds so you can first discuss the importance and you know relevance of drilling angles in other words how a 20 degree drilling angle will differ from a 90 degree drilling angle or if you would prefer to answer Tim's question which basically means what does the ball driller need to know about each bowler in other words their physical game from speed to rev rate tilt before any of this can even begin to be written down. Let's, let's address Tim's issue first. That, that's kind of trying to, the good. chicken and the egg thing, that's, that, that's getting the chicken there before we lay the egg. And that, that sounds pretty good. Uh, what the ball driller's job is to do to make the customer happy is to adapt the bowler's style to the laying conditions on which they're bowling. That's what the job of the ball driller is. I have to understand who you are as a bowler and then give you a piece of equipment a bowling ball that will make you enjoy or be more successful in your endeavors on the lanes and in order to do that i have to understand two things who you are and what is the lane condition on which you're bowling is that correct and, Joey? and when you say enjoy mo what you really mean deep down is scorability mm -hmm. because that brings enjoyment to the game in other words if a ball driller drills a ball for you and it fits your hand beautifully but you're leaving pocket five pins you're not having too much fun that's correct see the, the ball drilling is two things first of all is getting a comfortable useful grip in the bowler's hand and then having them enjoy the sport now when we teach my classes 
we the first thing we teach about what I call the pro shop experience as a pro shop operator as a ball driller is to identify your customer who is your customer and you know they're all bowlers Joey but you know they all have different needs and they all have different wants so who's your customer customers want either of two things when they come in to get a bowling ball so they can bowl better or they can enjoy it more. They either want to be more successful, which are your competitive bowlers, which are the bulk of the pro shop customers, or they're just bowlers that want to enjoy it more when they bowl. So you have to identify your customer is this a competitive bowler that came to you because he wants to be more successful when he plays our sport, or is this just a recreational person who wants to go bowling but just wants to enjoy the time they're on the lanes more. So I say that that's the first thing you have to identify when you interview your customer. And I'm sure you do that in your own way every time a customer comes in the door, Joey. Well, w without a doubt, if I get a customer coming in that in a, is in a once-a-month couples league, we will always show them the entry-level products, say price 140 and lower, uh, because a, a high-end ball, asymmetric core design is not really going to benefit them in any way. Uh, mainly we try and coordinate the proper weight uh, for the frequency and, and fitting their physical game and a basic ball reaction or motion they're looking for providing they're concerned with any amount of hook on the ball. Some bowlers just want a ball that fits their hand nice in a pretty color in the proper weight and away they go and that's fine. I mean that's mm -hmm. as purely recreational as you can get. But there's others that are kind of in between there, Mo, that they're a little competitive but they're still classified as a recreational bowler because they do not want a spare ball. They want to bring one ball to league play, yet they want to not embarrass themselves but actually be somewhat competitive. Yes. So this is just good terminology of customer service, isn't it, Joey? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what we need to get from the bowler to identify that bowler, and we don't want any identity crises when somebody goes bowling. You have to know who you are, and then you have to know what you have to do to get better. But we have to identify the bowler, and I identify the bowler, and so do, so do you. And in all my classes, we identify bowlers based on their ball speed to rev rate ratio. You can do it separately. Say it's initial ball speed and initial rev rate. Because all the bowler can do is, is impart energy to the ball. And when they do that, ball speed to rev rate. But what we're really interested in looking at it is, is the ratio of ball speed to rev rate. And that would mean, is that bowler a little bit more speed dominant, which is the average bowler. A speed dominant bowler needs a bowling ball that's going to create motion for them and read the patterns stronger. Then we get the matched bowler. Now that matched bowler can throw it hard with a lot of revs or slower with fewer revs. But their ball speed and rev rate match to the point where you get a nice consistent motion from front to back on the lane. And right, Moy, and I think what we should do is throw some numbers out in your opinion what a matched bowler would be say for on the monitor. Now this is ball speed on the monitor say for a 14 mile per hour bowler, a 16 mile per hour bowler, and an 18 mile per hour bowler monitor speed. Now that's not off their hand, uh, and the, you can kind of explain that as well. 
that monitor speed is the speed the ball is traveling when it goes by the camera for the automatic score, and that's 52 feet down the lane. So as a good rule of thumb, whatever your monitor speed is, we add two and a half miles an hour to that to get the, to approximate the ball speed off your hand. And and I would agree with that. And and it, that that can change from from two and a half. It can go down on an oilier pattern, say only be a two mile an hour difference, and on a drier pattern, possibly be three. That's correct. But it's it's a we approximate it right around two and a half. Okay. So if you're talking fourteen miles per hour monitor speed. You're talking 16 and a half off their hand. You're talking 16 miles per hour monitor speed. You're talking 18 and a half off the hand. And if you got an 18 mile per hour monitor speed, you're talking 20 and a half. I haven't seen too many 18 mile an hour bowlers in monitor speed of you. Not too many, but there, no. there's a few out there, Mo. Right. I, I'll go along with that. But I let's, mean, so good, let's good bowlers, talk I'm talking. Yeah, let's just talk about 14 miles an hour, which is 16 and a half. 16 and a half miles per hour of initial ball speed matches up with around 200 RPMs off their hand, in my opinion. Does that sound like a good number to you, Joey? Um, I, I think I've been using a little higher rev rate. Um, let's see. I would say about 220, 230 would be a good match at 16 and a half. But again, you're the expert here. I would say that's a, sh a shade rev dominant. The number okay. we have used when we did the ball motion study with the USBC, and that was up, the bulk of all our work was done before they moved. So that was done in your town, and you've been over there and seen some of the work that was done on that ball motion study, correct? Definitely. Okay. We use 17 and a half miles an hour at 275 RPMs. You know, in my research and doing the research, the traveling, talking to people that travel the country to do pro shop coordinating stuff, Del Warren, myself, different people, we determined that that was the average competent league bowler. Somebody who's in that 180 to 210 average, a competent league bowler, we felt that the match point was 17 and a half miles an hour and 275 RPMs. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And that 17 and a half is off the hand. average not... competent bowler, the median of the competent bowlers, was 13 degrees of axis tilt, which we'll talk about, and 55 degrees of axis rotation. So, and the reason that became important is when we did the initial numbers on the ball motion study, that's the numbers we programmed into the audit, into the robotic ball thrower. We programmed in 17 and a half miles an hour, 275 RPMs, 13 degrees of tilt, and 15, 55 degrees of rotation. And I'll even go far enough to tell you that when they programmed that into the ball thrower that they had at the USBC, the access point for that person was five inches over by three-eighths up. So I was involved in, in, in with Neil and with those guys because I was a technical advisor to that, to setting that up. So that's what we felt was the median competent player. Right. So we can go below that or above that and raise the RPMs as the ball speed goes up and lower the RPMs as the ball speed goes down. So, so we recap this. A bowler with 15 miles per hour monitor speed 
meaning 17 and up off the hand. If their rev rate is very near 275, they would be called a matched rev rate to speed bowler ratio. That's what we, that's what we did. Yeah, that was the median. Right. If someone is 220 rev rate with that same speed, they would be classified slightly speed dominant. That's correct. Or rev challenge. That's the other word we use. Or rev challenge to be kind. And if yeah. someone has a 320 rev rate at that speed, they would be slightly rev dominant. That's correct. What's interesting yeah. is in 1997, when I was working with John uh, Davis at Kegel, and I was helping again as a tech advisor for conditioning on the PBA tour, because that's the first year John did lane conditions on the PBA tour. When John Forst was out there working for uh, Kegel and doing the lanes, we actually measured all the touring players in 1997. And the median on the PBA tour, okay, was 375 RPMs at 18 miles an hour. And they were 14 degrees of tilt and 58 degrees of rotation. That was very precise. All right, so, so you would say that the average PBA player at that time was slightly rev-dominant. Yes, they are. They, the average PBA player, why they get the reaction you see on television is they are slightly rev-dominant. So on a lot of patterns, their ball will read the friction harder than the average league bowlers does. Right. So, so we're going to wrap up segment one here shortly. Uh, to recap this, again, we haven't really touched what drilling angles are going to be good for, for this type no. of player, but being rev dominant compared to being speed dominant, there's really no advantage one way or the other. The, the key is having your equipment coordinated to match the way you are. That's correct. We don't, we don't care if you're slightly or if you're rev dominant or speed dominant or matched. We have the ability to use layout techniques. For example, this is, this is what happens every, every this is happens to shop operator. They've all heard this. Guy comes in on Monday, used to be when it was really hot, when the Saturday shows were on. Guy would come in on Monday and said, I saw so-and-so throwing that ball on television, and the ball looked great. Now, I throw the ball just like he does, so I need that ball drilled the same way his was. Just like Pete Weber. Yeah, right. I, I throw it just like Pete Weber. Yeah, okay, right. If you threw it just like Pete Weber, you'd be Pete Weber. But you're not. <laughs> or I threw it like Norm Duke, or I threw it like somebody else. But what the ball driller had to do was use a drilling technique that took this, because the average ball is slightly rev-challenged, speed-dominant, that took this slightly rev-challenged bowler and made their ball roll on the lane like a, rev, like a slightly rev-dominant bowler. And you and I both know that's using a stronger drilling technique than the guy on television used. Is that not right? Well, without question, and that's where dual angle, the beauty of dual angle comes into play, is we can help that bowling ball leave that skid phase sooner, get into the roll sooner, uh, actually enter the hook phase sooner, and make it appear as though he has more revs than he really has. That is exactly correct. To adapt that player with their skill set to get the ball motion that was achieved by a player with a little different skill set. A little more efficient skill set. Yeah, you're, you hit it right on the head, Joey. 
Well, on that note, gentlemen, that, that and, and Joe, I want to thank you for doing that for me, by the way. You've been helping oh, me with no add, add reps to my, my arsenal for, for now about five years. Um, we are going to uh, wrap things up here, though. This is very informational. We're going to continue next week with sec, uh, segment two, where we're going to get into more of the dual angle drilling, the technology, the terms, you know, drilling, actually. And then also um, maybe going to hit some email questions. We did receive some emails from some folks. So we might hit a, a few emails, but uh, want to wrap things up right now. You've been listening to the Above180.com podcast with Tim Berg, Joe Serrar, Mo Pinnell. Stay tuned. Next week, like I said, we're going to get into a lot more of this. We're only, we've only scratched the surface here, folks, so stay tuned next week. And for Tim Berg, Joe Serrar, Mo Pinnell, good luck and good bowling.